everybody, uh, John Lamberton here. I'm going to be your host today on The Bridge Podcast. And my guest today is Liminal Warmth. And Lim is an occult researcher, and uh, I came across her on sort of pseudonymous Twitter uh, as she was tweeting about various occult things and uh, other more practical stuff like, you know, how to get a following uh, and how to, you know, get paid for your writing. Uh, I've seen interesting posts about, you know, conversations with GPT-3, um, and today we get into all sorts of stuff, uh, you know, from meditation and, you know, magic with or without a K to, uh, you know, stuff like neural annealing, parapsychology, uh, really all over the map. So, uh, this is one of the more, uh, fun and woo conversations that, uh, will be on the podcast and, uh, yeah, we get into some weird stuff. So without further ado, please enjoy. So the traditional question on the podcast that I start with um, really has nothing to do with occult stuff, but um, we're going to talk about occult and, uh, you know, uh, like sort of through the rationalist lens and that world. But um, I always start by asking just uh, how coffee fits into your life. If you have coffee habits, if you drink it whatsoever, um, how much you drink, uh, that type of thing. Um, I drink a lot of coffee. Um, I think I probably have at least three cups every morning. Um, and usually I'll just make it in my Keurig. And if there's a Starbucks handy, I usually go for a 16 ounce vanilla latte with an extra shot. That's cool. Uh, regular milk? No, I use cream. Gotcha. Cool. Oh, uh, in, the, in the latte? Yes. Yes. I, um, I'm, I'm like a coffee professional by day. So I sort of have to like round out my sense of who everybody is just by uh, getting a sense of what they drink coffee wise. Uh, so yeah so it's funny i'm i'm so not a coffee snob whatsoever um mm -hmm. i'll drink whatever it all tastes pretty similar to me um but i do insist on doing creme brulee keurig so interesting i've never even tried a keurig but uh you know people speak highly of it and it seems nice and convenient uh but yeah i, I just i'm so used to uh, sort of snobbier coffee but you know i appreciate the the non-snob aspect of it so um yeah Anyway, uh, let's talk about some occult stuff. So um, I'm wondering, first of all, like you identify with a sort of like rationalist community as far as I know, right? Like, you know, sort of less wrong, star-ish adjacent. Yeah, I didn't really read less wrong. Um, I kind of got into it through Tyler Cowan and um, Scott Alexander on Slate Star Codex. Um, I'm probably more post-rationalist than rationalist. Um, I describe myself as a lol rat on Twitter. Okay. which is just sort of like a, you know, yeah, let's like talk about things and try to figure out what's going on and be rational and reasonable about it. But let's also be able to laugh at ourselves and maintain a sense of wonder and um, be open to the idea that we don't have enough information about the world to approach everything from a strictly rational lens. And I think that there is some ways in which the rationalist lens is very limiting. Totally. And I feel like I've seen a lot of people in that community sort of come across things that might be like esoteric and just sort of assume that they can uh, do a really you know better job than uh, like the traditions I've been doing it for a while. But uh, I still, I, I sort of want to maintain my rationalist cred. So I, mm -hmm. you know, uh, I guess like I'm viewing the occult as something that's fun and interesting. And it's kind of like a, a, a way of talking about something that's, you know, actually totally, you know, compliant with a, typical rationality. So um, I was wondering if you could just start by sort of painting a picture of where these uh, different worlds sort of overlap and uh, what do you think the entry point is there? Between rationalism and the occult? Mm -hmm. um, I'm not sure. I, you know, I can mostly only speak about my own experience and my own path. Um, I think that there is a Rationalists and post-rationalists tend to be very curious about the world, and um, we tend to want to understand how things work, and many of us will pick systems apart and try to analyze and describe things and be like, okay, this is, you know, this is what I think is going on here, and here's some interesting things about that that maybe we haven't looked at before, and here are some interesting ways to maybe twist it around and play with it a little bit. And so I think... When you get into something like the occult space, um, it's 
at least from my perspective, very intriguing because it's a space that's not well understood. And so, and it's a space that many people insist has some reality to it or has some utility at least. So I feel like it's really interesting to get into this super complex system and be like, what's going on here? Like, let's try to pick this apart. So it feels like a natural target in the same, for, for like a rationalist or a post-rationalist in the same way that, you know, let's try to understand the dynamics of this group or this group situation and understand how people are signaling at each other and what those signals, like it's a very similar kind of way to grapple with the world. It's just something that isn't usually grappled with. Mm -hmm. um, it seems like the, the focus on like results and like, you know, results magic and chaos magic, um, there's, I mean, and I feel like you must resonate with that particular uh, sphere of this because, you know, your podcast is uh, chaotic thinking. And um, mm -hmm. I'm just sort of curious, like uh, with occult Twitter, there's like, you know, so much public discussion of the occult. And uh, like, I've heard other people basically say the best thing about the occult is when you don't talk about it and you sort of keep it hidden. Um, but the chaotic lens seems so much more like open source. And so do you see any value to like keeping things hermetically sealed or like, uh, not making it totally open source? So this is something I think about a lot and super struggle with because, um, you know, I've, I've done now uh, a number of podcasts and written a long article about how this stuff can be dangerous, even just from like a, you know, the mental spaces that you put yourself in. And I think that if we were to discover that you actually can manipulate material reality through whatever means, um, I could see how that could be very dangerous to just put out there. Mm -hmm. um, on, the, on the other hand, if it does work, like all of the tools are already there and available for people. Like, is it really that much more dangerous to try to understand it and systematize it a little bit and help people see how they might use it? I don't know. Um, I think the thing I worry most about is getting people interested in this space if they're not in a place where they're going to be able to approach it from a place of safety. Like that's, that's something I get really stressed out about because I, you know, I get a lot of messages from people um, in DM and um, just asking me questions about the occult and, you know, or even just on Twitter, like, how do I get started in the occult? Like, what, what do I do? How do I get started in tarot? And I'm always like, I don't know. Like, like, what are your, what are your goals? Like, what's your current mental state at? Because I also get messages from people where they talk about how their friend or their cousin or whomever, like, um, got really hurt or got destabilized because they started getting into a psychotic state or something. And so I just, I don't know. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not sure. Maybe, maybe it is best to keep it sealed, but I the sort of hermetic element of it uh, reminds me of just like the feeling of, you know, if you like some sort of music and then everybody else finds out about the music and you, know, you feel weird and you want to stop liking the music. And I just, I feel like it's a kind of, you know, uh, like weird perspective to take. And I, I totally take the chaotic lens. Um, is, do you have any attraction to older models like, you know, the Golden Dawn or Thalema or something like that? Um, not really. I find them to be really, um, they're great for some people. Um, and I do like the pageantry, um, but it's too much work for me. Like, I don't, I don't want, like, you don't have to do all that stuff. So I don't want to like put on a robe and, you know, draw arcane symbols on the floor and like invoke the archangels and like, it, it's great if it helps you get to where you need to be to try to do what you're doing. I think there's a lot of value in it for a lot of people. But, you know, if you read about chaos magic, a lot of people discuss it as more of a metamagic system mm -hmm. where does it work? Do it. And like, that's much more in line with how I approach things in general. Like, is there a expedient way to get to a desired result? Great. Let's do it that way. Mm -hmm. So, you know, not a ton of attraction. I've read Crowley's stuff. I've, um, you know, read uh, Israel Regardi's stuff. And I don't know. It's, it's fine. But no, I don't have a lot of personal attraction to it necessarily. 
it's definitely not my cup of tea uh, either, and it might be specifically the pageantry that I'm not attracted to. But at the same time, oh. I feel like the sort of like cultural artifacts that come along with it are really interesting. And like, uh, you know, one of those things is like tarot, which I feel like is, at least as far as I know, much more of like a Western thing. And um, like, I've always just, I guess, been more attracted to the Eastern side of things. Uh, but mm -hmm. I, I'm curious why specifically tarot entices you. And uh, yeah. Well, tarot is one of the few things that I've actually seen um, results that persuade me that there might be something more going on there. Because like a lot of the stuff with, with magic that I go investigate, um, I start poking at it and it's like, okay, like, I don't know, I'm not really persuaded about this. Like, I don't see people able to demonstrate telekinesis, but, you know, and then and you look at the parapsychology research and they're like, okay, like we can demonstrate effects, but they're very minor. And so, Tarot is interesting to me because in my own experiments with it, I've seen results that have persuaded me that whether I'm deceiving myself or whether it's actually what's happening, the results seem better than random and that bothers me. Mm -hmm. And so it's something I keep coming back to because I don't understand what's happening there. And, I, and so it's, it's extremely compelling for me because it's, it's a direct experiential thing for me. And if I had other direct experiences, I think I would want to poke at those similarly. Uh, so on Twitter, you had uh, like somebody posted something that was like, uh, what would your TED talk be? And yours was something about uh, like a rational explanation of divination or something like that. And mm -hmm. I'm curious uh, if you can elaborate on that a little bit. So if we assume that I'm not deceiving myself um, and that I'm not just telling a story around the cards, um, if we assume that the cards are actually coming up in a way that describes known situations um, and possibly even the future and um, are giving us good information about the world, the next question is how the hell does that work? Mm -hmm. Because it shouldn't based on what we know. So, um, I have this, I, my, my current theory, my current hypothesis is that humans possess some innate level of, of ability to either, you know, call it, call it what you want, like basically collapse probabilities in front of you. Mm -hmm. And when, and, and in very minor ways, and this actually has been backed up by parapsychology research, like um, in limited settings, but people have been able to through sheer intent and willpower, produce better than random results mm -hmm. when focusing on, on a random outcome. And it seems totally plausible to me that there might be some mechanism that we don't understand yet by which humans have an ability to manipulate the results of subjective reality around them. And I know that there's tons of problems with that and tons of challenges to it. But it's the only explanation that I can think of outside of a spiritual explanation for how tarot might be able to produce these results. Um, somebody I heard once talking about the I Ching, they were saying like, you know, if you want to do the I Ching correctly, you really have to like, you know, actually uh, like, you know, cast the coins yourself. You can't use like a, an app to do it. And so do you feel similarly about tarot? Like, uh, do you feel like you're, getting anything less out of using an app to pull the cards or I don't, I don't, I don't use an app to pull the cards. I, I pull the cards directly. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, somebody asked me the other day if um, they were asking about like writing intentions or something, something related to like writing magic. And they asked me if I thought that writing longhand made a difference between, you know, typing it on a computer. And my response to that was, I have no idea. I haven't tested it, I haven't looked into it, but um, at least when I try to produce results or I try to produce effects, it feels <clears throat> more direct and I feel more, I feel like writing it longhand, doing things with your own hands feels to me more meaningful than typing it into a computer or working with an app. Mm -hmm. That said, the parapsychology research that was done by the Pear Institute um, was all based on a random number generator with a computer. So 
I don't know. Gotcha. Um, the the mention of parapsychology makes me think of like sort of like the military psi stuff with like remote viewing and um, yep. like, you know there's like this magic world about like you know sort of like uh, getting results and it's a lot more utility oriented but then there's like this world that's like kind of more about like uh, your perceptual capacities which is weirdly like I feel like it's the research might be better than a lot of the more conventional occult stuff but uh, it's like almost unbelievable that, you know, the military would be using remote viewing or something like that. Um, do you ever fiddle around with that type of uh, technique? Oh, I haven't tried any remote viewing stuff. Um, even if it works, I don't think I'm particularly psychically sensitive. Mm. Um, but I'd be curious to like talk to someone who claims to be able to do it and, and hear more about it. Um, all of that stuff you're describing, it's, it's all the same stuff. It's all different, like different lenses on the same phenomena. And like when we talk about parapsychology, when we talk about psi research, especially when I look at the methods that they use to make these things happen and the, you know, how they structure their tests, it's the same as magic. Like it's, this is why, you know, they're, they're trying to couch it in language that's more um, palatable to a scientific audience and a little bit more palatable to a mainstream, I think to separate themselves from that occult woo stuff, but it's all one and the same. And Dean Ryden will talk about that in his book, Real Magic. He's like, yeah, like chaos magicians don't really talk about Psy. Psy researchers don't really talk about magic, but like it's all the same systems. And if there's actually something going on, it absolutely uses the same mechanisms. There's no way it couldn't. Mm -hmm. I mean, in the case of like something like astral projection, um, which I feel like has a lot of woo baggage to it, um, you know, that's mm -hmm. so much like a, like you're cultivating the ability to visualize something um, internally. Uh, but with remote viewing, the idea that you could actually like, you know, like maybe the way that they portray it in movies is a little bit, you know, blown up. But like, if you're able to like tell something that's in an envelope, that's a specific uh, concrete thing. Like, I don't know if you know um, Andres Gomez and Mielsen, but he had a, like a psi video where he was like, what am I thinking about? And it's like, there's, I don't know what you're thinking about, even if it's concrete. Um, but the outward versus the sort of like introspection thing, I, I feel like that's gotta be some sort of different mechanism, right? I don't know. Um, I don't know very much about astral projection. It's not something I've, I've looked into a ton. Um, lucid dreaming would have been something I put in roughly the same category as astral projection at one point in my life. And lucid dreaming is a thousand percent real. I don't think most people even question it anymore. Um, I just haven't looked into astral projection enough to know. But that said, um, I could speculate on the mechanisms and uh, it seems to me like hypothetically reading someone's mind or seeing a, rem a remote location would come from tapping a similar type of capability inside the human body if we are trying to apply a materialist lens to it. So yeah, I mean, I, I still think they're the same stuff. It's just maybe using, like if you boil all these magical techniques down and really what we're talking about here is we're talking about um, divining information that you don't have access to on a normal basis. And so there's kind of a, a pretty clean line with, with magic where it's either information-based or it's produced physical results-based. Like those are kind of the two categories of broad things that you can do with magic, mm -hmm. in, like that people claim you can do with magic. And if we're looking at just that left category, like the, the whole like access to information that we don't normally have access to, absolutely like it if we can do it and if we're looking for a material explanation that isn't rooted in a spiritual world it's got to be the same mechanism or at least like in the same ballpark like this tapping the same part of your brain accessing the same source like i i think it's all related so uh you know d with divination over here uh do you think that something like uh you know philip tutlock's super forecasting is on the same spectrum or do you think that that's just too uh to unwoo to be on the same spectrum. I don't know what super forecasting is. I mean, like, uh, you know, I guess these people like Philip Tutlock and like, uh, you know, the uh, website like 538 who are so into the, uh -oh. you know, these predictive models of like forecasting things like elections. Um, 
they, they're supposedly able to do um, like signif significantly better than uh, like, you know, intelligence agencies with less information and like uh, with less time in advance. But uh, it's just, you know, very much like something that you would see like on a CFAR blog or like a less wrong post or something like that. Um, it's just, you know, not at all woo, but it's still all about forecasting, but it's forecasting not uh, divination. So here's how I think that those things could be similar. And I think this is very, this is very dependent on your lens, right? Like in both cases, you're manipulating a set of symbols to, um, you're, you're manipulating a set of symbolic information to attempt to predict an outcome in the future or, you know, describe something that hasn't happened yet. And in both cases, you come up with a prediction that you wouldn't have been able to come up with, like, independently. The difference is, I think, that with the 538 stuff, you're not consulting a person. You're consulting a system. You're consulting an algorithm. You're consulting a tool. Um, with, with divination, you are the tool. So... Maybe there's an explanation for all of this where, okay, there's, you know, some through, through whatever tool we're using, if we're dealing cards, if we're doing the I Ching, maybe there's something you're activating in your brain that operates kind of like um, a highly complex algorithm, draws the information out of the environment that you have access to, and like lays down some predictions that seem like they come out of nowhere. That's something I'm totally open to. Mm -hmm. um, it doesn't explain how the cards in tarot, for example, would flop in um, unusual ways. But this is kind of the theory, like, oh, the cards are a guide and your brain is actually telling a story around them. I don't know if that's accurate, but that's how it might be similar to that system, in my opinion. Um, so besides tarot, um, what are your sort of go-to tools in terms of like uh, just practical occult skills? Um, so, my background's in chaos magic. Um, if I am looking for a magical outcome, I'll almost always reach for a sigil. Um, I've, and I, I rarely do that. Um, and uh, I've just started playing in the servitor space a little bit. But so probably just like the basic, and you know, like um, meditation, lucid dreaming. Um, so... Meditation, lucid dreaming, tarot, and sigils are probably the things that I would say I have the most experience with in my toolkit. Um, as somebody, like, I, I, I have a decent dream lucidity, but it's kind of unpredictable, and it's definitely gone up since uh, using, like, a dream journal, um, and more recently, just, like, taking, like, some alpha GPC before going to bed, uh, like, mm -hmm. the, you know, source of choline. That seems to, like, really boost it, but do you have any other uh, techniques for somebody who it doesn't come naturally to? Yeah, I mean, there's a whole um, there's a whole system for te teaching yourself to lucid dream, and you might have used it or experienced this. But um, uh, there's this book, Exploring the World of Lucid Dreaming, from like the '70s or the '80s, that you know was kind of the de facto lucid dreaming book for a long time. But it'll teach you to do things like um, you need to get in the habit of asking yourself if you're dreaming a lot. Mm -hmm. Like, and so what I used to do when I was in high school, for example, is I would draw. I've got this. I've got this symbol on my wrist that I tattooed there eventually. But when I was in high school, I used to draw that on my wrist all the time. And I would, whenever I would look at it, I would remind myself, like, "Oh, are you dreaming right now?" And then, by teaching yourself to ask if you're dreaming throughout the day, you start to do it in your dreams, and you can spark them with much more regularity if you're doing that on a regular basis. And then the way you can test for that, because like asking yourself isn't enough sometimes, mm -hmm. but the way you want to test for that is I always used to use the, um, the thumb test. Like you can try to put your thumb through your palm mm -hmm. and if it works, you're definitely dreaming. You can glance at a clock and glance away from it and, um, and then glance back. And if the numbers have changed and you can do this with text too, like if, if the text changes, you're dreaming. And um, if you just do those things throughout the day, you'll do them while you're dreaming too. And you'll be a lot more likely to wake up in your dream and just get more familiar with it. Obviously dream journaling is super important. 
Um, because otherwise you might have a lucid dream and forget. You have to be good at dream recall to be able to remember your lucid dreams. Um, and I, yeah, I think I, th those are the big things. It, it's just really getting in the habit of it. And you'll be able to, I mean, I used to, when I was really doing it a lot, I would do it once every couple days. I would have a pretty consistent lucid dream. And so when you had it every couple of days, was it that you were like saying, I'm going to lucid dream tonight? Or was it just that it happened every uh, couple of days? Uh, it would just happen every couple of days. I, I was never able to like predict it um, or uh, like set the intention before bed and have the outcome I was looking for. But I was definitely able to spark them with a, a degree of regularity. Gotcha. Um, do you, in your experience, has like sleep hygiene played into uh, your ability? Like, uh, you know, do you find that going to sleep early or like, you know, maybe like getting bad sleep might help sometimes? Uh, is that yeah. Yeah. Um, naps are good. Like I would, you know, uh, I used to be able to lucid dream pretty frequently while taking naps. That was, you know, I don't know what it is about the sleep schedule. There's explanations for it, you know, REM, polyphasic stuff and like, yeah, I'm, that stuff all seems valid to me. It's interesting because this stuff is pr actually pretty well understood. Like you can go read the science behind lucid dreaming and different dream states and it becomes, you know, pretty obvious to see, I, I forget what it is, but it becomes pretty obvious that certain states are more conducive to it. Uh, is the book that you're referring to uh, from the 70s, is that like a Stephen LaBerge thing? Might be. Okay. I'd, have to, I'd have to double check and look later. Okay. Um, well, uh, I'm curious. So, like, I know that you do like a lot of writing and like some video game oriented stuff. I think uh, how how does like this occult type of stuff uh, feed into that practice or like just like your regular work in your career? It doesn't. <laughs> Not at all. Fully no. Okay. no, it's. I mean, like, I do this stuff as a hobby. Gotcha. Like, you know, I mean, I um, it gives me something else to write about, and. I've been having a lot of fun doing the podcast and um, just learning more about it. It's really become um, a little bit of a spiritual journey for me in some ways, because, you know, I'm kind of having my RV life, midlife crisis thing right now. And so um, in learning more about the occult, I'm also learning more about all kinds of spiritual systems and learning a lot about myself. And um, the more I dig into the magic stuff, the more I think that it's, um, it's intimately tied in with spiritual growth. So, yeah, I mean, that's the only way it ties into the other stuff I do, though. Like, you know, I've got my writing career, I've got my tech career, um, I'm working on a company right now, and, like, it's all separate. That's why I keep the streams separate, mostly. Mm -hmm. So, speaking of uh, keeping those streams separate, like, what, what's the deal with this, like, anonymous Twitter and sort of the cult stuff there? Um, like, there's so, some people that I can't keep track of where it's just emojis in their name. Yeah, um... <laughs> So pseudonymous Twitter for me is very much because I, um, I'm very uncomfortable getting on camera. This is the first video interview I've ever done. Um, and I've only recently even started getting into audio because I just, I hate when people are dicks to me. Yeah. Hate it. Hate it. And there's a lot of people who are dicks online and I don't want to, I just don't want to deal with it. Yeah. So um, also, you know, I, I'm embarrassed about the occult stuff a little bit in my professional life. And so when I set up the pseudonymous account, um, it was very much to keep conversations about, um, psychedelic use and, um, you know, occult research and whatever else I wanted to shoot my mouth off about totally separate from my professional persona and, you know, my, my corporate life. But the more I kind of get out of the corporate life stuff, the more I'm like, I don't care. <laughs> like, I just, I don't know that I'm ever going to go back to corporate unless I really feel like I have to. And if I have to, I don't really think they're going to do a deep enough search or not hire me because I have an, an occult podcast. So like I've gotten a lot more comfortable with loosening up the OPSEC a little bit over time. Um, I probably won't go all the way and ever just use my real name, but um, 
you know, I've, I've started doing audio. I've, you know, we're doing video. I might do more video stuff in the future. Like, um, I like attention. So, you know, I, it's fun to be on camera and, um, and I want to get more comfortable with that. Like, it's not something I've ever been comfortable with. And so I'd like to get more practice being on camera and just, uh, talking to people. I feel similarly, like, I feel like, uh, I oftentimes have extremely transparent facial expressions and like um, I just will see myself when I record myself I'm like oh you are like just projecting what you're <laughs> thinking right now. Um, it's something that you said though about uh, psychedelic use uh, remind me of something I was going to mention when we we're sort of talking about like the more psi aspect of things and so mm -hmm. um, I don't know if you fiddled around with this but uh, Russell Targ has an app that um, is for ESP and so the idea is it basically like has these different colored squares and you're supposed to guess at random which one has a picture behind it. And um, it, you know, it says like, if you can't guess it, just skip it. It's better to skip it and like see if you can feel it. Uh, but like it, he basically says, if you get over this percentage of correct answers, contact me so I can study you. And that's huh. a pretty interesting take on it. You know, because you have a one in four chance to get it. You should send that to me later. I want to try it. Totally. Um, yeah, it's, I found that, um, sometimes if I'm in certain, uh, states, then I can like do better on it. But hmm. then, you know, other times I've realized that like that state has made me sort of think that I've done better and, uh, like I should probably quantify it a little bit more carefully. I think that, um, even if magic is real and <clears throat> even if there's like some extra sensory element to it, um, I really don't think that my <clears throat> sensitivity, like my psychic sensitivity is particularly high. Mm -hmm. I actually had a conversation with my uncle about this once. And like, um, if there's any truth to magic, I feel like my talents are much more likely to lie in active stuff, mm -hmm. like being able to produce results or being able to affect the world around me than they are in perceiving or sensing. Because I've, never really had paranormal experiences beyond stuff that I've tried to do and had it work. So I don't even, you know, I'll, I'll try the app. I don't know if it'll work for me. For sure. Yeah. Um, yeah I'm curious to see what you think. Um, so, you know, in some of these like uh, Peter Carroll books, he has this actual like graph that I'm sure you've seen, you know, where it's like your uh, sort of psychic capability versus your like the probability of this. And it's like this net. Have you seen this? I don't think so. Um, shit, well, I wish I had it ready to go. Um, well, uh, I guess I, what I'm wondering is like, if you've, like I know you have a meditation practice, has this cultivated your sensitivity, like your perceptual sensitivities or? Um... So I, I've been inconsistent with my meditation practice. Um, I was doing it really solidly for the first three months of this year and then it trailed off and I'm just now trying to get back into it. Um, my tarot cards told me that if I focused on sensitivity, it would benefit me. Um, that was in, I was just talking about that this morning on Twitter. Like one of the first things I did when I was trying to figure out if there was any reality to this stuff was like, okay, I'm going to do some stuff to go research this. All right, cards, what do I do? And I was like, tell me what happens if I focus on tarot. Tell me what happens if I focus on chaos magic practice. Tell me what happens if I focus on developing my sensitivity and tell me what focus... Tell me what happens if I focus on, um, uh, oh, like research, like reading and stuff. And the four cards that came up were uh, very specific. And I, it basically said tarot is useful, but also um, will, might deceive you sometimes, um, be an illusion. Um, chaos magic practice will be very useful and you should push full steam ahead on it. Um, Sensitivity training, meditation, Ace of Cups will, you know, it's hard to get a clearer message than the Ace of Cups on sensitivity training. It's all about like opening yourself up and, you know, developing your sensitivity. So that was a pretty strong message. And then the, the card for research, like going and reading a bunch of books and trying to learn more about it was a card about conflicting voices, being too loud, like getting confused. And so of course I, picked the research and that was you know that's exactly what's happened it's i've gotten very 
I've gone down a lot of tangents and a lot of rabbit holes, and um, I'm probably more confused than when I started about what's actually going on. Uh, in your research, is there are there any like uh, main sort of lines of research that have been interesting to you, like whether it's an author or like a specific book or like what's most enticing to you in your research? So I'm super, super interested in the parapsychology research stuff because they're, um, and this is relatively recent that I've really started to look at this stuff, but they do have double-blind, peer-reviewed, controlled studies that show better than random outcomes on this stuff. And like the military concluded better than random outcomes on this stuff. And it blows my mind that we just kind of like pretend that doesn't exist. That like, we're like, oh, those were obviously faked. Those were obviously, you know, they had poor controls. And like, meanwhile, you've got people like Dean Radden and parapsychology researchers over here who are like, no, like we, we're doing everything we can to hold this to, you know, scientific standards to the best of our ability. And even when we do it, y'all ignore our research. So like, I'm just fascinated by that. Like, and of course me too. I'm like, I, I don't know guys, like, are you lying? Like, is this, is this legit? Like, did you, are you really putting good controls on this stuff? And like, they must be so tired of answering that question at this point. But it's, it's fascinating. Like, it's so weird to me to see military intelligence papers and these, like, you know, um, carefully controlled studies producing results that appear to be what we would describe as magic. And the scientific community is just like, nah, that's not science. That's dogma. That's, that's religion. Like, you've got to be able to explain what's going on here or at least debunk it. Like, yeah. it, so that's fascinating. There's like a certain type of atheist who uh, is like so ready to you know show their atheist card, and uh, I don't know. I feel like you have to like take a little bit of a step back because I mean, there's so much that we don't know, and uh, no, no. Like uh, I remember seeing this conversation that involved Rupert Sheldrake and Daniel Dennett, and I was just like, this isn't gonna go well. But like, I feel like Rupert Sheldrake has some reasonable points. Um, just he doesn't want to deny consciousness exists and stuff like that. Like everybody has some sort of outrageous claim to make. And I think denying consciousness exists is pretty outrageous too, so. Yeah, like you, there's so many rabbit holes to go down and there's so many perspectives to take on it. I got really frustrated with myself talking to Ayla last night, um, Ayla girl, mm -hmm. because we were talking about psychedelics and um, perspectives about reality a little bit. And we got to talking about magic and she doesn't believe in it because she grew up in this very, um, very religious fundamentalist environment and was turned off to it. And I've met a lot of people like that. Like my ex-girlfriend is like that. And she was very much um, like, nope, it's not real. I've seen people speaking in tongues. It's all nonsense. Like, I'm not even interested in your woo. Like, it's, it, it, it's not real. You have fun, but you're deceiving yourself. And like, I get it. I, I get that perspective. And then, but like, when I try to articulate why I'm still interested in it, it's so hard for me because there's so many different angles to come at it from and so many different ways to communicate what might be happening. And like when I'm faced with a highly skeptical person, that's like, why would you even think this is real? It's so hard for me to like pick and pick an angle and be persuasive about it. And maybe that's just because I need to order my own thinking about it better. And I was talking about that this morning too. Like maybe I need to lay down my thoughts about it a little bit more, but I feel like I don't know enough still. Like it's, it's I, I have all of these different avenues of exploration and speculation but it's still just speculation. And that's also why I want the direct experience. Like until I see someone do something impossible or until I manage to do something that I think is an impossible, it's, it, it's not anything but choosing to listen to a different set of people, right? Like, and I hate that. I hate that I can't, and I hate that I can't communicate why I think there's something here. Like, I do think there's something here. I can't quite explain why I'm so persuaded of that. It might just be wishful thinking and this thing that I've kind of had my whole life and wouldn't it be fun if this was real, but like, I just feel like there's something there and I wanna understand what it is.
So. Yeah, I think that uh, using terms like occult and magic, especially when you throw a, a K on the end, uh, you know, it can be a turn off to people. But uh, oh yeah, it makes me think of like uh, these other movements, like you know, what I sort of refer to as like California magic, like basically like the secret or oh uh, yeah, like yeah. Robbins or like NL mm -hmm. or whatever. Um, oh yeah, or even like transcendental med meditation. Um, and so that, like, those are all still really kind of like sketchy in a way, but. Um, I don't know, it's just like such a, you just need to change the terminology, I guess, to attract people. It's, uh, it, it, it's all the same thing. Like when I go talk about magic and the occult, it's not any different than praying. It's exactly the same thing. And you know how many people pray every day? Like it, ev so many people believe in magic. And like, I wish I had a better term to describe it than magic with a K or the occult, because I'm not talking about manifestation, even though I am, it's, it's, a, it's a superset of it. And I'm not talking about just religion and just prayer. I'm talking about this widespread belief that humans have that we're able, that some people are able to somehow manipulate the physical world. And enough people claim that they're able to, that I'm persuaded that it could be possible. And I know that some people will just stop right there and be like, nope, that's, dumb and people who believe that are dumb and i'm like i don't know maybe they're dumb but you're sure taking that on a no evidence basis mm -hmm. and they're and they're like well there's no there, there's no evidence for it and i'm like except the parapsychology studies that show results and all of these reports from throughout history of I was, I was just reading in Dean Radden's book about this guy who lived in 17th century France and he was a monk and, you know, and, and often people who were maybe more sensitive or more inclined to be interacting with the supernatural world would go into the priesthood back then because it was their only outlet, you know, otherwise burned as a witch. But um, he was reported to be seen levitating by hundreds and maybe thousands of people at, you know, as, as he would give Catholic mass and the Pope came and checked him out. The Cardinals came and checked him out and they were all like, yep, he's legit. We don't know how he's a saint. And like, did they just make that up? Did that happen? Like, I have no idea. And I don't know how you would even validate that, but like, it seems pretty implausible to me. The church didn't like him. They, they'd hated that he could do this stuff and they kept telling him not to do it. And like, come on, like did, really? Like did the Pope and all the bishops just decide like, hey, yeah, we're gonna just make up a big lie about this guy being able to levitate forever even though it annoys us. It, I've heard of somebody uh, who like used to live in Idaho uh, where, or Iowa rather, where uh, there's like a big transcendental meditation community. And uh, they're like, yeah, a friend of mine walked in on somebody who was levitating. But I, I brought this up to another friend who's a big meditator. And he was like, oh, yeah, the, the TM people think that they can fly, but they're really just hopping on their butt on trampolines. And I don't know if you've seen this, but it's the funniest thing uh, to look up on YouTube. It's just uh, groups of people bouncing around on their butts on a trampoline. Well, this is OK. So this is the problem. This is part of the problem with the, the misinformation stuff. I think there's a lot of people who are persuaded that they can do supernatural things and can't. Mm -hmm. And then we look at those people and we go, this is silly. Like you're not doing the things you think you're doing. Mm -hmm. But that to me is not sufficient evidence that those things aren't possible. It's just people lie to themselves all the time about stupid stuff. And just because, you know, just because hypochondriacs exist doesn't mean people don't get sick, you know? Mm -hmm. I feel like the like saying something like they were flying or levitating or doing magic like it's kind of a nice poetic way to compress like the actual harder to explain thing uh, of it. But uh, this makes me think of something else. Uh, so on Twitter, you were gracious enough to do a GPT three uh, conversation with Austin Spare for me, and uh, I'm curious about just like what you think about GPT three in terms of like divination or like you know, within a magical occult context? So I've, I've played with it quite a bit. Like I've tried to get it to do, um, I've tried to get it to have more conversations with like Robert Anton Wilson and Austin Osmond Spare and like 
it's it's an algorithm. Like it's not doing anything magical. Like it's um it's I don't think it's random enough for that. Like if you if you turn the temperature all the way down to zero, you'll get a consistent set of results every time. And the predictive randomness in it assigns weights to a possible series of words that might come up. So I don't really think, at least from what I've seen, that um, it doesn't seem likely that trying to use it as a divinatory tool or trying to use it as um, a representative of an egregore or a servitor really would have any real connection to those things. It kind of gets back to my whole, like, the stuff of the mind and the physical world feels separate from the stuff of technology to me. And there's a lot of techno magic people who would probably disagree with me, but what, I don't know. Magic? Huh? What's techno magic? I don't know. There's a lot of people who um, try to blend technology and magical practice. Hmm. And I understand why, because um, the ability to program, like, you know, computer programming, right. um, has your mind work with symbols and abstractions in a very similar way to how magical practice has your mind work with abstractions and symbols. So I think one of the reasons why magic has gotten so popular in recent years um, is also, and, and particularly with like techie people too, is that it um, working with technology primes you in some ways to be able to more easily grasp or, or grok these highly abstract symbols of systems that you need to be able to wrap your mind around to interact with magic. Gotcha. Um, <clears throat> that also makes me think of like, there's a less wrong post that's like, say, say not emergence, say magic or something like that. And basically, you know, like all the complex system people uh, want to say emergence every other word. And, uh, you know, for like when something combines them, there's like a synergy. And uh, Yudkowsky's just like, oh yeah, it's, you should just call it magic because we don't know it. Um, yeah, I don't know. I just wanted to name drop uh, last wrong post. <laughs> um, what else is there? Um, I feel like that's most of what I wanted to talk about, but um, I'm curious to hear more about this sort of like technological uh, approach. Like I know uh, Mark Lipman, I think it was, uh, he has that meditation thing and that seems like a really uh, you know, interesting approach to meditation from like somebody who has, uh, you know, a different set of skills than uh, other people. And, you know, there's Daniel Ingram and stuff uh, who are coming at meditation from a really like rigorous and sort of uh, strategic standpoint. Uh, do you have any thoughts on this like new school of meditation that's a little bit, yeah. So they both make very interesting claims in their, um, Mark in his notes and Daniel in his book, um, both of their writing influenced my thoughts about the dangers associated with magic and meditation and spirituality very heavily. Like I draw on things that they've both said and observed um, uh, extensively in my own notes and my own thoughts about the ways in which this stuff is dangerous. Um, I think it's really interesting. I appreciate their pragmatic approach. Um, I really like people who are trying to get the woo out of the woo because I think it is helpful in understanding what's really there and how we might interact with it. So yeah, I mean, their, their stuff is great. You should definitely go read their stuff if you haven't. Um, I would love to chat with Ingram at some point when I have a little bit more time to think about um, what I might want to ask him about meditation and specifically the, the cities, the, the shadow magic side stuff of it that he claims is real as kind of like an afterthought mm -hmm. he's like hey yeah this this stuff is real and also it's a distraction from spiritual enlightenment which is the real goal of meditation Ooh. and um he he actually uh i i think it's really interesting that he says that because like when scott alexander reviewed his book he mentioned that he um he, he like highlighted that and he's like, oh, by the way, Daniel Ingram says magic's real. And I was like, what? And like, and, and I went and read the book and he does it. He claims this stuff really happens. And I don't know. It's, I don't know how you make that claim as a medical doctor and like not back it up, but 
he did and so I'm really curious to ask him about it. Yeah, I'd be curious to hear that conversation. Have you ever done his, uh, it, the fire, like the fire meditation thing? Mm-mm, no. Don't worry about it, but... the, the, the whole meditation thing is something I haven't spent as much time progressing through. Like I'm not an experienced meditator. Mm-hmm. And that's actually why I want to get into it more. Um, because again, like I don't have great sensitivity even if sensitivity is a real thing you can develop. And so I, I feel like it's something I'm ignoring and I shouldn't be, especially with how serious I am about researching the rest of this stuff. And so um, I will probably go down that thread next or close to next because right now I'm on this big like hallucinogen, entheogen thing. And I, you know, I talked to James Kent, I talked to Ayla, um, I've talked to some other people about it. Um, Selentilechia and Eigenrobot both weighed in on it. And um, I think it's really interesting, but I'm starting to come to see psychedelics as a little bit of a dead end from a spiritual or a, um, uh, a magical angle. I think as I've learned more about what changes they produce in people and um, what experiences they drive, I'm not persuaded that it's the correct, I do think it's, I do think your brain is put into a very similar state to meditation and magical trance when you use those drugs, but the loss of control or the loss of ability to direct your will seems like it would directly interfere with the aims of what you're normally trying to do in those situations. And so I think that there may be useful as a way to expand your mind and persuade you that there's more than just the physical reality around you. But I'm skeptical that they're very useful as a long-term tool to do anything more meaningful than help you see the world from a different perspective. And probably once you've seen that a couple times, you don't need to keep going back to them to, to get that. Now, that's also different than some theories of their mechanism that I've seen. Like there's a, there's a, I forget who put it forward, but there's a third, there's a theory of annealing, uh, like, like the neural annealing. Like a- yeah. Yeah. The, the, the neural annealing. And like, if you read that, they talk about how psychedelics can be useful as a means to put your brain into, um, a high energy state that lets you work things out. Yes. And I find that persuasive, but I also don't feel like it's how psychedelics have helped me heal necessarily. And maybe I'm deceiving myself about the mechanism, but like most of my good experiences with psychedelics, most of my healing experiences with psychedelics have come from just observing patterns in myself that were not useful Mm -hmm. or helping me to experience emotional states or ways of thinking about myself that um, I didn't have as much access to prior to the experience. Like I've talked about how the first time I ever took MDMA was probably the only time I ever needed to take it because it gave me such overwhelming love for everyone, including myself, mm-hmm. that, um, you know, I, I had a lot of shame and guilt throughout my life, I think. And I had never experienced this like overwhelming self-compassion and self-love before. And having had that experience, I was like, oh, I could just feel like this toward myself. I don't need a drug for this. Like I, I, I can feel this way toward myself and I can feel good about myself. And that was incredible. That was life-changing for me. And um, so I don't know if that was neural annealing or if that was just me having a drug teach me to love like you know i i don't know i mean like yeah it sounds like somebody like daniel ingram or like uh uh is it sharon salzberg i forget uh the meta meditation person uh Uh you can sort of meditate yourself into that state but uh i I would love to hear you talk to andres uh from qualia computing because he's the person i heard the uh, neural annealing thing from and he has like this idea of you know sort of like the uh connectome symmetry and like that being related back to valence and uh i think it would be a really interesting talk because 
he's very you know knowledgeable about psychedelics but he's also uh you know uh, he sort of is a purveyor of Wu in an extremely non-Wu way, so. Interesting. But okay. not, not Wu way as in like, you know, uh, like uh, Taoist Wu way. <laughs> uh, you, should, you should connect us. I'd be happy to talk to him. Yeah, I, I think you'd get along really well. Um, <laughs> okay. Yeah, well, get along with most people. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, you'd have plenty to talk about and uh, I'd have a lot to listen to then. Um, yeah, I'm wondering what else there is. Um, hmm. I, I've blown through my list of topics, but uh, is there anything that you want to uh, speak about before we wind up? Um, I'll ask you my question that I usually ask people on my podcast, which is what crazy experiences have you had? Like, what's the weirdest story you've got that you can't explain through normal means? Like, what's the weirdest thing that's ever happened to you that might persuade you that the supernatural is real? Interesting. Um, I feel like I've never had any, like, super weird experiences. Um, I will say that, like, synchronicities have, like, popped up, and, like, I'm sort of a little bit dismissive of, of them, but, like, there were, there were some times recently where, like, uh, yeah, I would have like five synchronicities in like a 20 minute span and it seemed ridiculous. And in those moments, I just kind of like, I, I just go for this like, uh, oh yeah, simulation, like getting a little bit more obvious, but yeah. uh, it's a fun poetic way to talk about it. But I feel like that's about as crazy as I've experienced. I had to kind of check myself on the synchronicity front recently because, you know, I was driving across country and um I was pumping my gas. I don't know if you saw this tweet, but like I was pumping my gas and I watched as the gas meter slowly ticked up and stopped right on a hundred. And I was like, that's weird. And like, then I went and did it again and it happened again. And I was like, no way. And then I tweeted about it and immediately felt stupid because people were like, oh yeah, that's a, that's a limitation on your credit card. They just do that. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, cool. <laughs> Sorry guys. <laughs> I'm dumb. Um, so like you, when you get into this magical thinking space and you start looking for these things, you need to be so careful that you're not like making stuff up because there's a lot of stuff to make up. And like it, I don't know, it, you, you just have to be really skeptical and really discerning. And I'm so glad that like Twitter checked me on that one because like, I don't want to descend into magical thinking. I don't want to descend into psychosis. I'm really interested in this stuff, but I'm not trying to talk myself into it. You know, like I don't want to be, I don't want to deceive myself about it. I want to really understand if there's something there. Mm -hmm. um, it, this makes me think of another question. Uh, and basically I'm just wondering if you have like a theory of mind that you uh, subscribe to, like, you know, there's some sort of brand of dualism or like physicalism or anything like that. Um, is that interesting to you at all? What do you, uh, I'm not sure I, n I understand what you mean by theory of mind. Like, uh, basically just like, uh, like a theory of consciousness, like, uh, what consciousness is, if it exists, um, how you explain like qualia and like, you know, the redness of red and that type of thing. Um, so I definitely don't have any kind of formal system or formal thoughts around it. I think that it's self-evident to me that consciousness exists. Like I'm experiencing it, so it must. I don't know if you're conscious, but I know that I'm conscious. And I don't think that is a deception uh, because it can turn on and off. So, you know, I, I know that there are times when I'm not conscious and I know that there are times when I am conscious and I know that because there are breaks in between the states that are qualitatively different. And, um, but as for like the mechanism, I have no idea. Like, I'm not a psychologist. I'm not even a scientist. Like, I'm a business major. So like, you know, I just, I read a lot and I like looking into this stuff and uh, I read a lot, but, um, but I don't really feel qualified to speculate about the like the nature of consciousness. That feels like such a big question that much more serious researchers are working on than, than me. And like, fuck, I don't know. Like, Do you have an intuition as to whether it's like 
essentially all like physical stuff or if there's kind of physical and mental stuff like is there a, a difference between you know uh information as you think about it in your brain versus the physical world my personal opinion is that if there is we're unable to experience the difference because our experience is necessarily mediated through our own filters and our own brain. Mm -hmm. So like, I know, for example, that I have experienced on um, psychedelic trips in the past, a complete dissolving of reality around me. And uh, this was, you know, over a decade ago now. And, but that was so traumatic for me because I, I just, I, I just kind of went, holy crap, like there are things that can happen to you in this world that literally make your perception of reality around you melt away. Mm -hmm. And like, it totally eroded my faith in um, the ability to, the, the, like people's ability to consistently and accurately interpret the world around them. Because if, it, if all it takes is a chemical reaction in your brain to completely derail your perception of reality, how can we be at all certain that what we're experiencing is real moment to moment? Mm -hmm. So I, I think if there is a separateness between physical reality and our, our mental states, um, we are unable to tell what that difference is on the basis of the perception that feeds us all information that we have access to. I'm not sure if you, uh pay attention to like Donald Hoffman and all, but it, I feel like his uh, uh, description of this seems to resonate with what you're saying. Like he uh, basically seems to think that like perception is like a, like a graphical user interface and like you're essentially not able to see the code just because we weren't, uh, you know, evolved to actually see reality uh, because, you know, he does these modeling things in computers where it's like, if you have the agents uh, able to see reality, they will die. <laughs> His name, his name is familiar. What did he write? Um, I'm not sure what the books are, but it's basically like every video that you see is some sort of like, like everybody has a, a clickbaity, like this guy thinks that reality doesn't exist. Um, but it's kind of like simulation-y, like a... Uh, stuff like... I, I hate stuff like that. Like it's so... It drives me crazy. It's like you... You... Ugh. You morons! It's it, no, how can how can you how can you be so certain? Like you you can't know anything about the world around <laughs> he's not you. Certain. He says that he's probably wrong. No, 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 not not him. The people slamming him by being like, "This guy doesn't think reality exists." Like, okay, how do you know what reality is? Yeah. Like, I, people get so confident that they've got the world figured out, that their belief system is correct, that like what they happen to have stumbled into in their lives is the real objective truth about the world around them. Mm -hmm. And I guarantee you that it's not. Every single one of us is walking around with fallacies about the world around us. Right. And the idea that you've got it figured out is just, it's, it, it's hubris, it's dumb. Mm -hmm. Like there's always more to learn and more to know. And there's no way that science has reached a pinnacle of understanding the world around us right now. It's just, it's dumb to think so. I tend to agree. Um, you, 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 you agree with me in calling the internet dumb? Yes. Okay, good, good. Um, well, I feel like that's, that's all I have to ask now. Um, and I'm, I'm excited okay. to share this Russell Targ uh, app with you and um, point you towards Donald Hoffman and. Uh, see if you have any further thoughts, but uh, yeah, uh, I guess that's it. Uh, you well, thanks for having me. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Thanks for joining me. Do you want to like say where people can find you on Twitter and stuff? Yeah, so you can find me at um, at liminal underscore warmth on Twitter, and please check out my podcast, Chaotic Thinking, um, where I pick all this stuff apart. And um, if you'd like to support any of the research I'm doing, or if you'd like to um, help encourage me to make more of this stuff and dig deeper, if you've got the same questions I do, um, I'm always appreciative of donations on my Patreon. Um, I super, it it's super motivates me. And thank you so much for all of your messages and for listening to me. I love it. So. Awesome. Well, uh, a little more. Thank you for joining me. 
Thank you. Talk to you later. Okay, bye-bye. Thank <laughs> you.